This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses working character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. Today we are testing our listenership by delving <laughs> into the career of the terrific, if perhaps unknown to non-cinephiles yeah. or Westerners, uh, Song Kang-ho, yeah. uh, the South Korean star of movies like The Host. Thirst. Thirst, uh, where he plays the original hot priest. Yeah, yeah. Fleabag, yeah. get out of <laughs> here. Flea, yeah. And Song Kang-ho walks so Andrew Scott could run. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, The Reason Parasite, which as we record just racked up uh, six nominations at the Oscars yeah. and just won a SAG Award for yeah. Best Cast. So run down uh, Song's history. Yeah, so Song Kang-ho was born in 1967 in Busan, South Korea. He began acting as a hobby in college and he trained in the theatre before being cast as an extra in The Day a Pig Fell Into the Well. He had several supporting roles in Number 3, Shiri and Bad Movie before he became a frequent collaborator with Park Chan-wook uh, in Joint Security Area or JSA. He later came to international attention with Snowpiercer and Parasite directed by Bong Joon-ho of which he's a frequent collaborator of, as well. I, I adore Song Kang-ho and I'd always liked him but in preparation for this podcast really binge-watching his work mm, yeah. in a short period of time has been incredible. Um, I think he's the leading face of the new Korean cinema we discussed a bit about on last week's episode. Yeah. Uh, he's worked with pretty much all of the major Korean film directors. He's been in four Park Chan-wook movies, if you're counting his Lady Vengeance cameo. Yeah. yeah. Uh, four Bong Joon-ho movies, four Kim Ji-woon movies, mm. who's sort of the third or fourth best director yeah. in Korea, and a Lee Chang-dong movie who yeah. made Burning, which was... Um, My favourite movie. My favourite Korean movie, yeah. maybe. It's tied with you know, The Wailing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, it's like... If it, on top of being Martin Scorsese's guy, Robert yeah. De Niro was in four Francis Ford Coppola movies yeah. and four <laughs> William Friedkin movies. Yeah. Like that, that's the level. Um, I think the recurring collaborations suggesting that the, those filmmakers like him a lot yeah. and that he's very good taste. Mm. On top of that, I think he's very versatile Yeah, in a number of ways. Not only does he alternate between very challenging, tough material and more mainstream popcorn stuff, mm. uh, he avoids typecasting. Yeah, uh, he can play heroes, anti-heroes, ordinary people. Sometimes shifting definitely between those labels yeah. within a movie, or in the case of Parasite, just one scene. Yeah, um, I also love his face. Yeah, incredible face. Such he's, a pointy chin. Yeah, he's he's a very lately anyway. He's a very handsome man, which yeah. makes him a great movie star. Yeah, yeah. Yet, I don't know how to even say, it, but when he plays ordinary people or oddballs, which he often does, yeah, he disappears into them, and he can really downplay his clear A-lister looks. Yeah, yeah. Mostly just by the way his characters move, like he can do lumbering really well, yeah. and you don't get the Mark Kermo joke of watching Courage Under Fire and not believing Meg Ryan is a helicopter pilot, <laughs> or Denise Richards is a nuclear scientist in that Bond yeah, movie, yeah. or Chris Hemsworth is a hacker, as yeah. we discussed in our first episode. Um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of star baggage with him or ego about the type of roles he takes on. Yeah, you're right in him not being typecast, but he's also kind of like the hot dad <laughs> in South Korean movies, yeah. especially recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a dad in Parasite. He's a dad in The Host. He's a dad in Snowpiercer. Uh, he's a dad in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. He plays a lot of dads, yeah, but yeah. like all different dads. So, as you mentioned, he'd been in a, a few smaller films, including... Um, the future, his future frequent collaborator Kim Ji Woon's debut, *The Quiet Family*. Mm. However, his big break was in uh, 1999's *Shiri*, uh, a Korean take on the typical Hollywood blockbuster, yeah. um, which kickstarted the new Korean cinema and made more money in the country than *Titanic*. He's the only supporting player in that spy thriller, uh, playing the best friend and the main character, who at one point is suspected to be a traitor. 
That said, he made enough of an impression that Parton plucked him from the cast and made him one of the leads in his sophomore effort, uh, Joint Security Area. Yeah. So uh, Joint Security Area, JSA, starts with um, a Swiss-Korean woman, an army major for the UN, visiting the DMZ, which is the heavily fortified border that separates North and South Korea. This is a place where any slight kerfuffle between North and South soldiers uh, could kickstart uh, another civil yeah. war. Uh, so it's a real powder keg. Um, she shows up because a South Korean soldier played by Lee Byung-hun. He's rescued after fleeing the other side of the border, leaving two North Korean soldiers dead. No one knows for sure why he was over there. Another North Korean soldier who witnessed and survived the attack, played by Sang Kang-ho, claims the South Korean crossed over the bridge, separating the two countries, barged into the soldiers' quarters and shot them. Meanwhile, the South Korean says he was acting in self-defense after being knocked down and kidnapped while uh, relieving himself on duty. Mm. Yeah. Pretty early on, we realize that neither story is true. And in flashbacks, which make up the bulk of the movie, viewers see that uh, one day before the incident, uh, Bai Young-hun's character got separated from his group during a training exercise and he accidentally crossed the country border and got stuck um, after he stepped on a landmine. And it was there he met Sang Kang-ho and his fellow soldiers who... The fellow soldiers who were killed at the beginning of the movie that we know are going to die. Yeah. And they sh- they slagged him about his situation yeah. and like they were like yeah. busting his balls. But they showed him mercy. And, you know, in the process, they bonded together. Yeah. yeah. And then soon after, Bai Young-hun began crossing the border bridge every night to play cards and drink with okay. the people who yeah. should be his enemy. Yeah. So, you know, what begins is this Rashomon as thriller yeah, where yeah. we're seeing like different we're seeing different people's accounts. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot of big murder and spy intrigue. Um, becomes this pretty searing drama about the futility of division. Yeah, yeah. You know, these people who are brought up to hate each other realize they aren't so different and want yeah. the same thing. You know, friendship and connection. Yeah. It's a great performance by Sang Kang Ho because it's quite multi-layered. Yeah. Um, on the DMZ, at least depicted in this movie, I'm not sure if it happens in real life. Um, the countries have this ritual of having their soldiers stand opposite each other very close and doing intimidating things. Yeah, reminding me a bit of you know what do you call the when I think it's the New Zealand rugby players. Oh, the hacker. They do the yeah. hacker. It's a little bit like that, yeah. like where they like spit at each other, <laughs> um, or like staring intensely into each other's eyes, like yeah. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like they're just <laughs> saying that. We see Kang Ho at first doing this, and he seems quite menacing, quite scary, somebody willing to kill yeah. for that country without really thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we realize after through these quite latter scenes of these people from different backgrounds, you know, talking about girls wrestling each other jokingly and you know farting yeah <laughs> that uh no like these, these men nor- these nor- man stuff it's a very yeah. masculine yeah that type of movie but we realize that they aren't soulless yeah these north korean soldiers they aren't the boogeyman the south koreans have been bred to be- you yeah. know to believe yeah. that they yeah. are later when you see the soldiers doing the ritual i mentioned before you'll see buying hun and kang ho trying to be serious but unable to stop the beginning of a smirk yeah yeah becoming on their face and like they're making like secret eye contact yeah. with each other and it's very cute yeah. and very fun and i think that's always fun from a performance standpoint you know having actors privy to information and seeing that no one else around them is yeah uh, i think it's i think it's always electric i think it's why thrillers about people undercover are yeah. generally really good um that said what's really a nice touch about jsa is the fact that it's a story about my favorite word, humanism. Yeah. Particularly a brotherly love for your fellow man, despite the people around you saying that, that to have that love is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it's never saccharine and is always rooted in reality. And apparently it's down to the fact that we know this relationship is doomed yeah. because of its flashing backwards and yeah. forwards. Uh, but we just don't know how. Which yeah. brings a lot of attention to the movie. But there's this fantastic scene where Kang Ho is eating these sweets buying Hun's character uh, brought over from the South, which you can't get in North Korea, these choco pies. Yeah. And he, he's complimenting the country for their food. And Bai Hun says to the North Koreans, 
why don't you cross the border to the south? You can eat all the sweets you want there and that you can't get here. And he, he, he's sort of poking them a bit to yeah, defect because yeah. he likes them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cheery mood of the scene just drops. And Kang Hao spits out the sweet into his hand and says, I'm going to say this once, so listen well. My dream is, he pauses, that one day our republic makes the best damn sweets on this peninsula. And then he puts the sweet back into his mouth. <laughs> and I bring up this moment because not only does it mirror a scene we will discuss in regards to Kang Ho and Parasite, but it's it's this sharp mix of comedy and drama. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very minor moment, but in the moment you realize that the divide between these people, whether or not it stops them being able to be friendly with each other, is maybe just too big to overcome yeah, long yeah. term. Their nationalism and you know the stakes involved. Yeah. Uh, I don't think any friendship could survive it. Yeah. Uh, every interaction being laced with fear like that. Yeah. You know, and um, yeah, it's a very good movie. I'd recommend it. But uh, just two years later, Kang Ho and Park Chan Wook lay uh, lay the groundwork of the latter's acclaimed vengeance trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, with, with sympathy uh, for Mister Mr. Mr. Andrew, take yeah. it away. Yeah, uh, Song Kang Ho plays Dong Jin, who's a wealthy businessman uh, whose daughter is kidnapped by a deaf mute man and his anarchist girlfriend. Uh, deaf mute man's name is Ryu and uh, the first hour of the movie is essentially like the leading up to the kidnapping the kidnapping itself and like it cuts between it cuts a lot of this stuff out like the stuff like it gives us a lot of time with the characters just being normal like at work or uh, having (laughs) that's a word for it (laughs) yeah yeah having uh, weird things happen to them uh, like there's that weird bit where like the Japanese salary man like tries to cut open his stomach in front of Song Kang Ho. I find that scene so disturbing but so funny. Yeah, yeah. So we spend a lot of time with these characters, just getting to know them, mostly with uh, the deaf mute man Ryu and his girlfriend and his sister, because he's kidnaps the daughter to for a ransom so he can pay for his sister's uh, kidney transplant. And uh, needless to say, things domino for the worse from there. Yeah. Um. And it sets uh, Dong Jin on a path. A terrible accident sets Dong Jin on a path of uh, total and unstoppable vengeance. It is maybe one of the grimmest movies it's I've really ever seen. It's so mean. And it, it's one of these movies where, in a very moral way, now that I'm thinking about it, is really looking at how, in this situation, everyone is a victim. Yeah, you can, yeah if, exactly. Depending on the viewpoint of the movie, anybody mm. could be the sympathetic person. Yeah. The, the deaf mute person literally signed up to give his organs away on the black market to, yeah. to his sister yeah. and then they just took his money and took yeah. his organ yeah <laughs> so this this kidnapping is very much a, a last resort for him yeah yeah and it, as i said it goes terribly wrong mm. and then you're put into the the dad's shoes of yeah. this person who loses who's loses lost his, his kid daughter. and yeah, yeah. obviously he would turn to some violent yeah, things which yeah, he does yeah you know? Incredibly violent things. Horrible things. Yeah, really, really horrible um, things. And it's, and it's one of these movies where it, it even it ends with a bit of a punchline yeah, as well. Yeah. It, 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 I think it's the one of the trilogy that people don't like as much because it's so nihilistic. Yeah, yeah. At the end of it, you can't really see an alternative. Uh, Song's character, Dong Jin, just wears the same expression over the course of the movie, but it's like you're putting his feelings uh, onto, the, onto that basically blank canvas because he's... Numb, numbed by grief, essentially, and driven only by vengeance. And, you know, we all know how vengeance thrillers mostly go. Mm. Yeah. I have, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. So, mm. in terms of San Kang Ho's performance, do you think he, it works in the movie? The fact that he's not a, he's a, not a very, um, not a person who shows a lot of emotion. Mm. Well, 
Yeah, because I feel like the one emotion he expresses in the movie is, you know, numbness, if you can consider that an emotion. And I think um, numbness is a real big part of grief. And uh, you need to find something to hold on to when you feel that numb. And vengeance is uh, the only thing he can think of, I guess. Mm. Yeah, and But he does it in some really brutal ways. Ways that are, like, really ugly but also really kind of striking in their imagery. Yeah. So like uh, at one point, a character has the back of their tendons cut oh, in yeah. a river and so- uh, Song leaves them to bleed out. And then the next shot is him carrying the victim on his back as this massive blood cloud just floats through the water. Horrible. And I think he takes some of that intensity, maybe not not that far put it into memories of murder yeah as well yeah. because in that movie he's playing this hardened grizzled detective yeah on the hunt for this who's also kind of shit yeah, yeah who's he's kind of bad at his job not a great person yeah it came out a couple of years before zodiac and it is based on a murder case which is very similar to zodiac where yeah which pers- was only solved last year yes which yeah. is insane yeah. <laughs> which i feel like uh it was cinephiles avengers yeah <laughs> they were like <laughs> they caught the memories yeah, of murder they got him yeah yeah bong joon ho bong joon ho <laughs> Yeah, but it basically he plays this cop on uh, on this case of trying to find this murderer who only kills when it rains, mm. intermittently every couple of months. Yeah, and only when a specific song is playing on the radio that he requests. Yeah, yeah. and it's like Zodiac. It is about how these killings affect the whole town. He and this character, we see him become very frustrated with this case and turn to torturing suspects. Yeah, basically. And pretty much like, e- nearly right from the jump. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah, I'm maybe yeah. giving a little bit more credit yeah. than it's due. And then every... What I love about Memories of Murder is every decision he makes that's bad bites him in the ass yeah, at a later yeah, point. Yeah. And basically, he's teamed up with this city cop. Yeah. And it's about... The movie hinges on their relationship yeah. and how... And you watch his partner go from this very idealistic person mm. to turning into him yeah essentially yeah, yeah and um i think it's a great movie yeah it's really really good yeah i mean i love i think there's a bit where it's like they're examining a body uh that i've they've either found or they're it's being autopsied and it just hard cuts from the body to frying meat and you're like jesus christ mm. yeah incredible what do you think of san kang ho in memories of murder i think he's really good uh but it's kind of it was kind of like building the bedrock for his kind of like the kind of everyman characters he plays mm. he's just becoming like uh, just really really relatable because you're like you're, you watch it and you're like what would I do in this situation because when you watch uh, uh, Memories of Murder you're like fuck it maybe I would beat the shit out of someone if it meant catching a killer yeah yeah, a horrible killer yeah a really horrible killer yeah because um, there's a point in the, isn't there a point in the movie where he makes friends with a, a girl in the village like a little girl yeah. who he sees around and then a, he, she's the victim yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you'd be like I'd be driven uh, yeah, you, I you might, go insane <laughs> yeah you know and I might be driven to uh, less than less than legal means exactly yeah. to get this extra person. judicial justice <laughs> <laughs> he does have that amazing scene in Memories of Murder the last shot of the movie mm. with the close up on his face where he just looks out into the audience like, yeah. you're out there so good yeah love it and it, it that kick-started um a lot of collaborations with bang jun ho mm, am i right yeah, that's the first yeah, time they were together. that was the first yeah. time they were and together, then yeah. after that's the host yeah yeah i love the host and the host is maybe the first time at least the movies that have crossed over here to the west where he gets to have a lot of fun yeah 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 because it's like basically 
at an, Amer- an American military base in South Korea, they pour gone-off formaldehyde, which is like a pr- an embalming fluid or preserving fluid, down a drain into the Seoul River. And six years later, this giant fish monster emerges <laughs> from the river and starts eating people. And uh, this kind of hapless, luckless vendor, Park Gangdu, his daughter is um, captured by the monster. Uh, and that's uh, Song's character. Basically, with his hapless, luckless dad, alcoholic brother, and like athlete sister, have to try and like rescue the daughter. And um, it's so goofy. Yeah, it's so it's brilliant way, 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 way funnier than I expected. Because the monster is like this this big amphibious, ungainly thing that's just flopping around all over the place. Like it's a bit where it just falls down a slope, <laughs> and it's like, what other movie would treat its monster this way? Definitely. Yeah, and um. Just amazing family antics. Yeah, yeah. In the movie. Just after, like, the monster first attacks and everyone's in the hospital because they think uh, the monster is spreading some kind of virus or something. And they're all in they're all in mourning because they think the daughter's, oh, God, she's been eaten. And they're just screaming and crying. But instead of being like, oh, my God, this is so sad, she's dead. It's like, what? Get these people out of here. They're just miserable. Like, you can see Song Kang-ho's ass at one point. <laughs> <laughs> Just because he's so miserable. Yeah. yeah. Well, not because he's miserable, because his pants fall down. He's, <laughs> and he's too distracted to pull them back up. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, but it, again, one of these things where there is a lot of um, sympathy for these mm. characters. Yeah. That you, they're not idiots, they're real people. Yeah. And um, isn't, is a Song Kang Ho's, it's, again, this, this is one of the movies I didn't watch for this. Is a Song Kang Ho's character who everyone always says is a bit dopey? Yeah, and then yeah. there's a point they, they where. They say they're like, he was starved of oxygen at birth, leave him alone. Yeah, yeah. And then at one point, he something happens to him and he's suddenly like intelligent. Like yeah. they lobotomize him yeah. and he becomes really like yeah, fast paced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really fun. <laughs> it's got like cartoon logic. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what makes it so good. Yeah. Yeah. So now we've seen Song playing very intense characters mm. like in JSA yeah. and in uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and we've seen him play very com- comedic characters yeah. in The Host and then he's in Secret Sunshine oh that Lee Chang Dong movie yeah. the Lee Chang Dong yeah. movie uh, yeah in a lot of these other movies Kang Ho is playing these very showy characters who to, to varying degrees all have moments where they go big yeah you know, like in Memories of Murder beating up the suspect yeah. or in JSA that scene I mentioned with the Swede yeah. you know or The Host every scene every in the movie scene. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But um, instead, Secret Sunshine is him downplaying his movie star qualities um, to give us a quiet supporting turn yeah. in, I'd call it a masterpiece. Yeah. Right? It's a great movie. <laughs> yeah, it stars this person called uh, Jean Duyon, who I'd never seen before in a movie. Apparently, mm. she's in the remake of that film, The Housemaid, which I talked about oh, in the last yeah, episode. Yeah. Um, she gives one of the best performances I've ever seen as a widower in uh, her 30s with a small son. She decides to move to Muryang, this small town, uh, one whose name translates to Secret Sunshine. Okay. Yeah. Um, her husband was from that area and, she, and had always dreamed of returning. So she tries to honor him by, you know, taking her kid yeah, there and yeah. like, to live. However, her attempts to ingratiate herself uh, with the people of the area are taken the wrong way, resulting in the first 30 minutes that plays like microaggressions, the yeah. movie. Uh, <laughs> she struggles to make friends, her only one being Kang Ho's character, uh, this mechanic who helps her when uh, her car breaks down. Uh, he's seen by people as being a bit of a loser. Yeah. At one point, bragging to a mate, he says, uh, never earn much, never earned a penny. You know me, always cool. And then he gets the reply from his friend, when married at 39, call that cool? <laughs> Ooh, burn. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, cool. Oh, you just want to hug him. Yeah. Yet despite being a bit of 
a lad sometimes with his friends. Mm-hmm. Like there's these scenes where he's talking, to, he's being kind of leery yeah, to yeah. a female coworker, and then he sees your one, uh, the main character, main character come in with her with her kid. Yeah, and he's like, you can tell he's so embarrassed. Yeah, and he's trying yeah. to be like the most polite person yeah, in the world. Yeah. Um, he is ver- a very sweet person to the lead character. Yeah. Uh, a person you t- you can tell pretty soon into the movie that he loves without ever saying it. Uh, yeah, he's just happy to be there for her yeah, when yeah. you know she needs it. Tragedy strikes. Uh, I won't spoil what happens, but let's say what would make up a standard Korean thriller yeah. takes up twenty minutes of Secret Sunshine. Okay. With this movie instead asking, what would happen after uh, yeah. the credits roll on a movie like yeah. some Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance? Yeah. Um, we see the lead mother turn to religion to cope with her loss, and it works for a bit, but it's only a patch on the real pain, yeah. leaving her to then lash out at the people who brought her into the church. Uh, she <laughs> starts doing self-destructive things, and you're, you're essentially watching this person unravel from madness and yeah. grief. Into madness from grief, I should say. Um, I'd be lying if I said it was not a tough watch. Mm. What it is, though, is unpredictable, terrifying in parts in a very realistic way and deeply honest. It's the most authentic depiction I've ever seen of a person unraveling and the subsequent attempts to rebuild themselves. Yeah. Uh, between this and Burning, I'm amazed at Lee Chang Dong's ability to turn films, which uh, for a lot of their running times feel so committed to replicating real life and its banality yeah. and its untidiness into such gripping cinema. And I think Kang Ho taking this unshowy role is a testament to his brilliance mm. his devotion to just be part of good yeah. art yeah and um he's terrific in the film while what he's going through can't be compared to the lead character there there's a real hauntingness and yeah. a, a melancholy to this man who doesn't feel he's worthy of the person he loves yeah uh, her brother senses he's into her at one point and tells him rather dismissively like yeah you're not a type <laughs> and you know after that he refuses to talk to her about yeah. his feelings yeah and um, he relegates himself to just trying to look after her as she struggles to take care of herself. And yeah. even in doing that, he's only greeted with hostility from her. She's There's a lot in the movie of her being like, why are you here? Just yeah. go. <laughs> I don't want you. And the people around her are a bit like that. There's this great scene. at a, There's a funeral. And her mother-in-law is shouting at the main character saying, like, you couldn't take care of my, my son. And now yeah. this has happened. And he goes over to the mother-in-law and... You know, very nicely. Yeah. It's like you. I understand that you're going through so much pain, but you must understand that it can't be compared to what she's going yeah. through. And everyone, everyone gangs around. I was like, "Who are you? Who are you to tell me this?" <laughs> and you just feel so. Everyone just dumps on the guy. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, they're they're so caught up in their own personal problems that they they fail to consider him. Yeah. So yeah. great movie. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> well, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, then after that, he shifts back into wacky comedy yeah, yeah. with uh, "Good, the Bad, and the Weird." Yeah. Which is, um, as I said in the last week's episode, a homage to the Sergio Leone classic, mm. you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, in a desert wilderness in 1939, the bad, who's Lee Byung Hun, uh, reuniting Sang Kang Ho and Lee Byung Hun from yeah. JSA. Um, Lee Byung Hun plays the bad, um, abandoned a hitman who's hired to acquire acquire this treasure map from a Japanese official traveling by train. Before he can get it, however, um, Yun Tang Gu who is the weird, played by Sang Kang Ho. Yeah. This thief steals the map and is caught up in the bad's uh, derailment of the coach. Oh, okay, and yeah. then the good, who is this actor, Jung Woo Sung, who's actually the least famous of all the, yeah. the main three actors, which is so funny that in a South Korean movie, the good is like, they're like, he's kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, this eagle-eyed bounty hunter appears it on the scene. It is so sc- typical. I know, yeah, isn't yeah. it? It's mad. <laughs> um, he appears on the scene as all this is happening to try and get a bounty on the bad and then the three end up uh, on a quest for the treasure 
all sometimes teaming up with each other, yeah. sometimes not. All yeah. these weird changes and dynamics happen throughout the movie. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, only in Korea could a movie called The Good, The Bad, and The Weird be focused on the weird. Yeah. <laughs> the bad guy, he's given a very cool intro. He's offered a train ticket by the guy hiring him to rob the locomotive, and he just tears it up. And the client's <laughs> like, why would you do that? And he says, bandits don't need train tickets. <laughs> and then Kang Ho gets the superstar, like Brad Pitt intro. Yeah. In this long take, we follow him. The camera swirls around the train into the window, and we see him... Um, you know we follow him on a long take through the train pretending to be a waiter and he's like rice cakes rice cakes and someone who wants a rice cake goes up to get one and he just pushes their head down (laughs) (laughs) and like a dancer almost yeah and um in between then in between carriages he takes off his waiter clothes and cocks his gun and holds the wealthy passengers up all 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 this like jaunty asian inflected ennio marconi (laughs) score is playing and you're just like movies you know and um yeah the good just shows up then and you're like He's fine, but yeah, like, what yeah. are, what's the weird yeah, up to? Yeah. I like the bad. Yeah, he was yeah. great. And um, yeah, Kang is fabulous. You know, he's he, he's all, he's a very physical actor. Yeah. Uh, so you buy him an action scenes of which The Good, The Bad, and The Weird uh, is that winning combination of, which you often see in Korean movies, of overextended action scenes yeah. and insane action scenes. <laughs> um, it's the funniest I've ever seen him. Yeah. Um, his forte as a theater actor was instinctive acting and improvisation. And because he's literally playing a character called The Weird, it really gives him an opportunity to just go mad with the strange, vibrant, offbeat energy and movements. And it's a ton of fun. Mm. Um, However, there's a minor twist in the film's last scene uh, regarding his backstory. Mm. And it suddenly makes him very unsettling. Okay. And I think if I rewatched the movie, I would see hints of the turn earlier in Song Kang-ho's performance because he's clearly so committed. Yeah. But it's a what a movie, <laughs> what a picture, what a picture. Well, but moving from uh, weird to horny, yeah. In Thirst, where he plays uh, Sang Hyun, uh, who was a doubtful priest uh, who, after a blood transfusion gone wrong, becomes a reluctant vampire who has eyes on his best friend's wife. Uh, yeah, he's it's a vampire movie. Basically, I think it came out maybe just before Twilight. It's two thousand nine. Yeah, I think so that Roughly, era. Um, but yeah, it's a vampire movie about all the difficulties of being a vampire. Like they don't. I don't think they have fangs in it. I don't recall. Yeah, they can jump from. They can really jump really big high. Buildings, yeah, which and I they're love like that. obviously resistant to harm, and except for sunlight and stuff like that. But like they ha- they do have really long nails, mm. and so to drink blood, they like stick a stick their nails in people's necks and drink mm. from that but like it's so messy like there's liters of blood yeah, just yeah. in the movie pumping out and it's it's like man being a vampire sucks vampires suck another vampire movie from that <laughs> era yeah um, byzantium yeah basically yeah and he eventually he murders his best friends and turns his wife into a vampire and it's basically like it's a romantic drama basically about like uh, forbidden, forbidden love, kind of basically souring because, like, once you get, once you achieve the unattainable, you're like, uh, this isn't as good as when I was chasing it. Yeah, it's like, it's like, what if my, what if the significant other I wanted for so long is a complete asshole psycho <laughs> when they become a vampire? Like, she just becomes a serial killer. Yeah, when true. he turns her into a vampire. Um, yeah, and it's probably one of the last great vampire movies. That's a good yeah. argument. Yeah, it's been incredible, like 10 years. <laughs> there's that incredible scene where they're looking after, I think it's her mother-in-law. Yeah, because she's like basically in a coma. She has that locked-in syndrome yeah, where she can't yeah. move. But yeah. she, you can, and I think they're being interrogated by police and her eyes just keep darting. Yeah, and yeah. It's, and it's so tense. Yeah. It's a fantastic scene. It's a good um, 
kind of like romantic drama as well because but like kind of turned on its head with vam- with a vampire twist because there's that scene where they have like kind of a domestic spat but they're like <laughs> leaping over buildings and tackling each other into walls and it like does them no harm because because they're vampires mm. yeah I always love a vampire movie which finds something very relatable yeah. in and it uses all the traits of a vampire to probe something that we can relate to yeah it's also a bit reasonably like, oh, I'm not as good as I thought I was. Because he's a priest. Yeah. And he becomes a vampire and he ends up like killing lo- loads of people. Yeah, he's not the moral person. That, In uh, really graphic ways. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's a great movie. It has a beautiful yeah. ending. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous ending. Yeah. Mm. Um, I want to talk about a movie which isn't as good as any of the movies we talked about, but mm. is on Netflix so people can watch it. Drug King. Um, it probably would be a good entry point for listeners into Kang Ho because it's essentially an American movie that just happens to be set in South Korea. Yeah. And uh, it's currently streaming on UK and Irish Netflix. Um, akin to Goodfellas, or maybe more so to Goodfellas' as many knockoffs. The one I kept thinking about was War Dogs. Mm, yeah. Um, this is a gangster story based on true life. Um, Kang Ho plays Lee, a small-time smuggler of diamonds and other products in the 70s, who becomes the fall guy for his gang's dealings and is tortured and imprisoned by police. Escaping from a jail, he sees the money to be made in making and selling speed. Yeah. So he garners a crew and he begins moving large quantities of the drug to Japan something which he justifies by calling it a patriotic act (laughs) (laughs) and um, get it out of there and put it into there (laughs) yeah that's it and uh, it's very solid Uh, it it hits all the beats you'd see in America in this kind of film the rise and fall of the central character the bulldog prosecutor on his tail the glamorous gangster's mall who um, I believe is the actress who he uh, tortures in Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Lovely. Yeah. yeah. And I think she's one of the family in the house. You hosts. could say it's electrifying. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> just remember that scene. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of flashy visuals. There's a soundtrack of era-appropriate needle drops. You know, it could go on. Yeah. That said, as hinted from my plot description, it does have this strain of wicked humor and is twice as interesting as something like Black Mass. Yeah, yeah. Um, just by being set in South Korea. Yeah. Uh, which brings locations we Westerners might have never seen before and a fascinating cultural and political yeah. backdrop that we know less about. Yeah. Like um, there's this intro narration that explains that Japanese soldiers were given uppers as they went into combat to yeah. help them be more alert and energetic and less afraid. Yeah. And then they became addicted to it. Yeah. So that's why there's such an epidemic of in the 70s that this movie set in of people addicted to speed. Speed. <laughs> <laughs> In the same way as in our Michael Shannon episode, which we recorded before we were, yeah. I know that face. When it's we kind were... of like our nausea of the Valley of the Wind. <laughs> exactly. As um, opposed to this episode, which is more like Spirited Away. Yeah. Now, if I was going to, if we we're going to do Miyazaki, I think our Michael Shannon episode is the loop in the third movie. Mad <laughs> 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 thing. Um, and we talked about the Iceman. Yeah. And we said that it was like an okay movie. Yeah. But with yeah. a great Real performance. Real made for TV movie that mm. just so happened to be released in cinemas. Yeah. And had an amazing actor at yeah. the center who yeah. makes the movie feel a little bit more credible than yeah. it is um, I think the same thing could be said about The Drug mm. King um, Song Kang Ho just throws out so much goofy charm yeah. to endear himself to viewers in its opening half something which actually at times I would say runs the risk of making us not buy him as someone entering the crime yeah, world yeah. Um, that said you don't really care because he's so likable you know you want him to succeed even if it is in crime yeah it also makes his later moral, psychological, and physical descent as the movie goes on all the more tough to watch. Yeah. 
you know, the film ends with him hooked on his own product, ranting <laughs> crazily, and then launching a one-man war with a SWAT team outside his mansion. One he might actually win because he has loads of guns and the SWAT team don't bring any. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, they're like, they're outside his house going to arrest him and he just starts shooting at him. They're like, oh no, we don't have guns. Let's fill out a form. And again, one of those weird cultural things that you wouldn't see in a US movie yeah. that makes it just a little bit more interesting. Yeah. So I think like, if you after seeing Parasite, which everyone is talking yeah, about now from yeah. Twitter it's, it's actually getting to the stage where it's almost boring people hyping yeah, how good it yeah. is like, shut if, up if not for the fact that it is worthy of all yeah, praise yeah. and you wanted to see more of Kang Ho after that this is a movie which he pretty much carries on his shoulders yeah. like it wouldn't be good if it wasn't for him is there any other movies? Snowpiercer he plays uh, Nam Goon Min Su a name Bong Joon-ho wrote specifically to be really hard to pronounce so oh I heard that story thanks for that yes. Bong um yeah, he's a drug-addicted security engineer on the train. Uh, on this train that is, like, circumnavigating the globe because the world is frozen and the last of humanity is on this train with the lower classes to the back end led by uh, Captain America himself, Chris Evans, mm. uh, or former cra- Captain America. Crapton America. <laughs> <laughs> keep, that, keep that one. What is this? Like, um, like um, a mad TV or Yeah, something. yeah. With, uh, yeah. And all the upper classes led by Tilda Swinton and uh, Ed Harris at the front of the train. Basically, revolution starts and uh, Chris Evans leads his uh, army of uh, poor people <laughs> um, yeah. to, towards the front of the train. And um, they need um, Nam Goon to... Um, Basically, he's the security. He was the security engineer that designed all the locks on the train and the doors. So he, they need him to get through, uh, to get through the, the train to the front, to the very front, and take control of the engine. Yeah, fucking amazing movie. Loved it. Great it's action great scenes. Uh, just so because uh, it starts off as like this grim, kind of grim, dark, post-apocalyptic thing, and then but once they get to areas of the train that have money, it's like it's surreal. Yeah, it's crazy because it's, it's this tight, cramped space. But it's also like so ostentatious, like there's like lovely mahogany paneling. There's like a sauna. There's uh, just these hanging gardens. There's a, a, ma- a an Icelandic man that just delivers eggs to people. <laughs> it's ooh, yeah, so strange. John, it's very unsettling. John Hogan, friend of the podcast, who I hope to have on at some yeah. point, he wrote about Snowpiercer for our end of decade list, yeah. and he wrote that. What's amazing about that movie is that it should be the most claustrophobic movie yeah. in the world. And it feels so massive because there's such a difference between the environments of yeah. each station. Yeah, yeah, completely. And you know, it's, it's really, you just want to like, every time you go into a new carriage, it feels like a new world. Yeah, which yeah, is exactly. Yeah. Such like a level, Levels in a video to, game. There's that scene, there's like two really good action scenes because there's the one with uh, the hatchets. The hatchets. All oh. these guys have hatchets and they cut open a fish. And whether it's poisoning the blade or whether it's some kind of just tradition before they fight, they just dip their ha- uh, hatchet into the fish's stomach and pass it back to the next guy. And they're all just blind. Like, they just don't have eye holes on their balaclavas. Mm. And then there's the bit where the train is just, is like, because it's so long that they can see each other and they're firing at each other across this massive valley and the bullets are just going through the glass all around them. And they they don't hit anyone, but it's incredible did you see the story Bong Joon-ho told about the fish scene yeah I did. such a good story yeah. I'm going to recount it for this because yeah. it's, yeah. it's so good but um, yeah Snowpiercer had a lot of problems when they were distributing it in America yeah. because yeah. Harvey Weinstein wanted yeah. to take 20 minutes out of the movie yeah. and he wanted it to be shorter and there was the scene with the fish yeah. and he was like what the fuck Wait, he cuts up on a fish yeah. What? what's that Yeah. and Bong Joon-ho said 
so you know i really want to keep that scene in the movie because my dad was a fisherman yeah. and this is my way of honoring him and harvey weinstein was like i'm all about family yeah all you need to keep that scene in the movie all you need to do is say that don't yeah. worry about it and it cuts the like the picture that i seen it in the you know, those kind of um memes yeah cuts yeah. back to bong joon ho and he's like my dad was never a fisherman <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, good. And it's funny because uh, Song's character Namgun is the only is he's one of the he's the only character in the movie um, that sees a way out of this situation because he thinks that outside is warming up, uh, whereas Chris Evans' character Curtis just wants to basically take control of the train and just basically continue this cycle. Whereas, and it's very complex in its heroes and villains because Ed Harris is like he's the only one keeping humanity alive basically, and to do that he has to call the population every few years and uh, kidnap children to run the engine because they're the only ones small enough that can fit <laughs> in the in the carriage yeah. oh it's bizarre he used to feed uh, all the poor people bugs yeah like, yeah, crushed yeah, up yeah. Crushed and up, you're, yeah. you're that's very interesting I hadn't considered that because you also the inverse of that you have a main character who at one point was a cannibal cannibal yeah, says yeah, I know what yeah. babies taste like yeah it's, that and scene is heartbreaking yeah and was almost considering eating Jamie Bell yeah <laughs> um if only for the great interference of ba, John ba, Hurt. Ba, ba, yeah. Jamie Bell. What a, cra- what a crazy cast in them. Yeah, well. yeah. Tilda Swinton. Yeah. John Ewan, Hurt. Ewan Bremmer. Yeah. Octavia Spencer. T- Alison Pill. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, insane yeah. stacked. And I, that's another credit. Just people want to work with Bong Joon-ho. Yeah. Like he's a visionary. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it was good. That's his only American movie. Right? Well, yeah. it's an American yeah. Cru- South yeah. Korean yeah. production. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I wanted, I was going to save this for the end, but we might as well ask it now. Would you want to see him in more American movies? Yeah, I would, but uh, the same with uh, Byung Hun Lee. Is that uh, that's GI Joe? Yeah, mm. yeah. I don't want to see him in GI Joe three. That's the thing, because I'm not sure I would like to see him in more American movies. Yeah, because yeah. if it was someone a, a really massive director who tended to do a lot of globe trotting movies, yeah. like Denis Villeneuve or Christopher Nolan or mm. Wes Anderson, yeah. I would love to see him pop up for yeah. a scene or two yeah, in yeah. one of those movies. But I would be very worried that they wouldn't utilize his talents the yeah. way that they he's yeah. working perfectly well in South Korea doing a, a huge work. variety yeah, of yeah. work not just yeah. like we're only covering the thrillers that come out here in the West but yeah. he's in a lot of movies that are like the green book of yeah, South Korea yeah. you know the, yeah yeah. The, there's one called the, the Barber's President or, yeah. or the President's Barber or even a taxi yeah. driver and the yeah, photo is yeah. him and I think it's Thomas Kreshman yeah. and they're just he's like, like smiling <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he gets to do pretty much anything Everything. he wants yeah. in South yeah. Korea yeah. so I'd be perfectly content if he stayed doing what he stayed did. Stayed doing, doing what he yeah, loves, yeah, you know. And, yeah. he, and he seemed to be someone who isn't really his main love is the stage, yeah, as well. So I'm not particularly sure he's really chasing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he, he's not very driven yeah. by stardom. You I know? feel like if Bong Joon Ho made more English language movies, uh, I'd love to see him in those. But yeah, I, I think I agree. Yeah, mm. you just see how many you, you see how much Hollywood can mess with um, actors who. Are, were so good in their home countries. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, Tony Banderas. Yeah, you know, prime yeah, example. Yeah. Like, in a you know ballistic X versus Sever. Like, what is that? And then he goes <laughs> home to Spain and makes Pain and Glory, yeah. right? The skin I live in. Yeah, I wouldn't want that for Sang Kang Ho. Yeah, I want him to stay pure. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we go into Parasite. Yeah, yeah. Which I haven't seen. I'm still um, going in blind to that. It's uh like what can you say about it at this stage? It is um, the best movie of the year, like, or the best so movie of 2019 yeah. or 2020. Yeah, it came out like because it came in America in 2019 here in 2020. Yeah, um, it's the best movie of the two years. <laughs> you know, um, 
So it centers on um, this family of two adult children and their parents, yeah. uh, the father of whom is San Kung Ho, who are living hand to mouth. Yeah. Uh, the house is essentially a basement with a, a little bit of a window that the drunks won't stop peeing on to their chagrin. Yeah. <laughs> Another bit of that weird comedy yeah, which yeah. wouldn't be in a Hollywood movie. Uh, that said, they've managed to just about keep themselves afloat thanks to their street smarts. Yeah. The older son has a wealthy friend tutoring a teenager in English. Yeah. Uh, this friend is going away to America for a scholarship and doesn't want one of his college friends to replace him because he's in love with the student okay. and doesn't trust any of them not to make a move on her. So he asks the older son of this poor family who learned English as part of his military service to take his place yeah. and to just fake being a professional yeah. saying that like the mother's young and simple. You know, like she won't know. Yeah. Um, so the son gets a sister who is into art and Photoshop to design him some fake certificates. Mm. And he starts tutoring the girl. But while he's in the rich family, he says he notices that the student's younger brother is into art. So he concocts a story about having an artist friend who's returned to Korea from Chicago and is giving lessons, setting up the role for his mm. sister to then occupy. Then the sister gets the wealthy family's limo driver fired and puts forward her dad. Yeah. And soon, pretty much, you have this whole poor family yeah. working for this rich family, yeah. feeding off them and are lying about their identities yeah. and pretending that they don't know each other. <laughs> and... Um, they, so they're the parasite of the title. and Until they're not. Well, I don't. <laughs> it's, it's a tricky area because ideally, you you know, you want to go into this knowing... A, Completely a, blind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the movie begins with Song Kang-ho's family searching their house and like going on top of like drawers and cabinets looking for... Um, to see if they can like jump onto their like cafe nearby's yeah. hotspot. Yeah, yeah. You know? And uh, the movie's very much probing. Yeah. Glory to the holy Wi-Fi. That's <laughs> exactly. the only bit of the movie I've seen. And there's a lot of talk at the beginning about like, oh, we need the Wi-Fi to connect yeah. to the WhatsApp. And, yeah, like, yeah. and it's so funny hearing these things which are so, so, so baked into our life yeah, yeah. being discussed in a movie because yeah. technology is so moves so quickly that yeah. by the time a movie comes out about technology you're like, that movie's so, that, <laughs> it's so outdated now. But also seeing these South Korean people in a movie, having not to the same extent, but having these issues yeah. that you can relate to, you know? Yeah. And um, the movie's very much probing class division and how so often for someone to succeed financially, another has to suffer. Yeah. Which I think ties into uh, the themes of a lot of a lot of movies that are in the air right now with like Us. Yeah. Or like Joker, mm. I think is a bit about that too. Yeah. So um, it's about the deceiving... Um, you know, it's trying to watch their scheme to together, the mechanics of it, mm. the, the, the pieces slotting into each other beautifully. The movie even feels a bit like a meditation on acting itself. Yeah. Because we see the working class family write out their scripts and prepare for their new roles. And like, oh, you're putting a little too much emphasis on that. Mm. Yeah. Do this. You know, yeah. you're over explaining the scenes yeah. like that. It's really funny. That's at about the midway point, everything changes. And uh, from there on in, it's incredibly tense, but also yeah. weighty. Uh, and a lot of that is on the screenplay and it's unpredictable turns. Yeah, but much of it's also down to Song Kang Ho's performance because he plays the only character in the movie who really changes throughout it. Yeah, uh, he starts off the movie as this gentle, very supportive father who, despite his hardships and his inability to provide for his wife and kids, uh, isn't bitter. Yeah, you know he does what he can for his family. He's there for them. He's always telling them how proud he is of them. And when the opportunity comes along to be the limo driver for this family, he seizes it and is delighted to have the opportunity yeah. and is very kind to the family he works yeah. for. However, seeing the more he sees how this family, wealthy family, live and their attitude towards their help, yeah. he becomes resentful, not realizing he's there. The rich parents talk disparagingly about his smell, something which no matter how hard he washes, he can't get rid of because okay. it's in his clothes. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's the odor of where he lives, these kind of damp, dark quarters, yeah. which are practically underground. And 
that scent sort of becomes a metaphor for poverty. You're like no matter how hard he and his family try to escape and pretend to be more well off than they are, yeah. it looms over them and it yeah. gives their background away. Yeah. Um, so throughout the movie you're watching this fuse being lit with San Kang Ho's character something which threatens to explode at any moment so the first part where this happens is when um, the rich family go away camping overnight and his family spend the evening there mm. they get drunk and they're you know sitting around being like look at us yeah, in this yeah. house it's like Paul Rudd yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, not me <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um, yeah they're getting very drunk and his wife starts playfully you know, busting his balls yeah, a little yeah. bit like she says that if um He's like, this is our house. We're living here now. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, but if the husband came home right now, you'd run off like a cockroach. <laughs> and he just immediately like turns and like grabs his wife by the cuff and like blows up and like starts like pushing all the bottles off the table. Yeah, yeah. And it's very tense for a second. And then they both start laughing and he goes, fooled you all, didn't I? <laughs> and um, it reminds me a lot of that scene in JSA. Mm. And because it, it's trivial in the grand scheme of the movie, yet helps foreground the dark turn the film is about to take. Because yeah, in yeah. that later on in that scene, there's the kind of the rug gets pulled out. Yeah, and I, I think he may not have been serious in that moment, but it, it shows clearly that he has anger inside of him. Yeah, perhaps about being dealt, you know, an unfair, an unfair hand in life, yeah. or being emasculated, and that he relies on his kids for financial support and. The more condescendingly he's treated, and the more looked down he is upon by the people he works for that anger from that point just grows. Yeah. And uh, resulting in, you know, the shocking climax of the movie, which I won't spoil. Yeah. But I, I think it's a credit to Song Kang-ho that despite being a supporting player in this movie, because he, he's not really the lead, because mm. I would argue the lead are the main two kids. Yeah. Um, he lays out this clear emotional arc for his character, which is often unspoken, this sort of sad, pathetic way he sniffs his clothes when he he- overhears the criticism yeah, of yeah. him. Like, there's a part where he's just like... Oh. And you're like, oh, That's man. heartbreaking that's my biggest fear if somebody ever commented on my smell <laughs> i would l- like lose my shit yeah, <laughs> I yeah, don't know, yeah. like i smell <laughs> it's such a taboo what do you mean you know? i smell yeah. i smell zero <laughs> <laughs> um but you know no matter and no matter how he acts at certain points or or what happens at the end we always like him yeah and we're yeah. always sympathetic to his plight with the movie sort of charting how a good kind person can be driven insane over the edge class disparity yeah, you know? yeah. but it's, it's such a great movie yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait to see it yeah, yeah, which, yeah. Um, it'll be way out by the time this comes out yeah. but uh, if you get a chance go see it yeah. it's it's a masterpiece yeah. is there any person you'd want Bung, or you'd want San Kang Ho to work with I'd love to see him work with Na Hong Jin I, was, I, I have yeah. that written down who yeah. made The Wailing and he made a North Korean kind of South Korean thriller called The Yellow Sea um, but yeah I'd love to see him because he hasn't done anything in nearly four years now he, so. he's sort of the only person making big crazy thrillers from South Korea at the crossover here who he hasn't worked with yet yeah yeah um, yeah they'll be incredible I think that's everything yeah, I wanted to touch upon it. yeah um, give review, us a rating subscribe. give us a review subscribe yeah. where you get podcasts yeah. uh, follow us on Twitter at I know that face P1 uh, send us an email at I know that face I know that face pod at gmail.com uh, Andrew where can people find more of your work you can find me at the headstuff gaming section uh where we write about why, what, and how we play. Uh, so please feel free to submit an article. I Or seven. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the film editor for Headstuff, so we write about um, movies. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have a catchy yeah, tagline yeah. like that. Um, I also write for Hot Press and uh, write for Travel Art Magazine, so check that out if you haven't already. And on that note, see you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.